Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had Garrison Brothers in the house. What is that? That is Texas bourbon, my friends. But we're talking about a totally different kind of bourbon here. These guys use sweet mash. What is sweet mash? Well, you're going to have to listen to the podcast to find out. Because I'm telling you, these guys are crazy. But that's why they live in Texas. Plenty of space to do whatever the heck you want to do. Check it out. Spear Guys Society podcast. Garrison Brothers in the Whiskey Society tell your friends who want to learn more about the spirits that they love. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I've always wanted to be on The Price is Right. <laughs> they do the slow clap on The Price is Right. They do all kinds of audience interaction exercises before Price is Right. That's, that's a thing, you know? I love it. Yeah, we got to bring everybody together. It's Come Monday. On down. We made it through Monday. Come on down. So together we clap, right? <laughs> all right, all right. It's a slow clap, man. It always brings people together. It works every time. Thanks for coming out for Whiskey Society tonight. I'm glad you made it through your weekend and through your Monday. Uh, we're going to be focusing on a craft distillery tonight in the world of bourbon, a brand that is really big in Texas, but perhaps you've never heard about it before. So please give it up to Mr. Shane Miriam from Garrison Brothers in High, Texas. This is fun. This is fun. I like that. Happy Monday, y'all. How we going? I mean, how's that when you start your Monday with a welcome cocktail from the crew at Seven Grand? I mean, that's dope. That's that's the way I want to start my Mondays. Claudia over here came in triple fisting. I, I want to hang out. With, where, where are you going after, girl? I, I want to know what's going on. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming out, guys. Uh, again, my name's Shane Merriam. I am the bourbon provocateur for Garrison Brothers Distillery. Uh, how many people here have had a whiskey from Texas? Ooh, come on. And how many people here have had a bourbon from Texas? How many people here believe that you can make bourbon in Texas? I believe. Bourbon is America's spirit. Um, That's one of the first things that we encounter uh, time and time and time again. 1964, Lyndon B. Johnson declared that bourbon is America's natural spirit. Uh, ABC's a bourbon. I'll go over them super, super, super quick. Made in America, 51% corn, new oak barrels. I get all the science and the numbers and everything like that. I don't want to bother you with all that kind of stuff. But therefore, we can do it in Hawaii. We can do it in Alaska. Can you do it in Mexico? Can you do it in New Mexico? There we go. So it's a very, very exciting time for whiskey in America, but it's even a more exciting time for bourbon in America because what you're going to say about soil, terroir, I'll use a nice French fancy word, get up there. Uh, It's more about the climate more about the wood and more about where you're storing it. Uh, The ingredients, yes, of course, are important. We are mandated by what we have to use. They are dried ingredients, unless we're gonna start to malt them or germinate them. Uh, It's really the interaction with the wood that's going on. Uh, Nobody that I know of, actually, I disagree. Uh, Lost spirits are kind of reinventing distilling. <laughs> They're also incredible. reinvigorating yeah. the, uh, the art of the theme park. Yes. The oh, have you, has anybody taken a boat to Whiskey Island? Is that, <laughs> is that the coolest thing ever? <laughs> oh, man. I won't even get into Lost Spirits. Uh, Duran and Brian are doing fantastic stuff in LA. They are not making bourbon, however. And that's what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about bourbon, more specifically, 
Texas Bourbon, and uh, thank you all for coming out. Uh, Cole Kephart, Hennessy Garcia, they're also with Garrison Brothers. They are leading the charge in what we believe that good bourbon can change the world, and so they're starting with California. Guys. Let's back it up. When did you guys start? How long have you been making this Texas bourbon? So when we started making something that you'd want to drink, or when did we start? It's For the very, very start. <laughs> so our, our, our yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Our owner and founder, Dan Garrison, uh, back in 1999, um, has a big problem. Uh, he gets fired a lot. And so he constantly runs into these issues where um, he believes he's the smartest man in the room. Um, I've seen both where he is and he isn't. But anyways, um, he, he looked around back in the late 90s and started seeing all these young cats, uh, probably similar to what's going on in the Silicon Valley, uh, writing all these programs and making all this money and doing that. He's like, well, I can do that. So he started writing all these programs and, and started making money. All of a sudden, his software was getting purchased, and now he's worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, and he's sitting there, as you know, think of the Facebook example. When you're worth hundreds of millions of dollars, you're probably employee number one, two, or three. You don't actually have that money in your account. And then all of a sudden, a little thing in Texas that you might have heard called Enron happened, um, happened to be his only client, and he lost all of his commodities. Now, fast forward about another six months, IRS comes knocking on the door and says, um, Mr. Garrison, you owe us $180,000 or $168,000, either way, more than I make in a year, uh, in taxes. And he's like, well, that's not going to happen. So he goes around, and he knows he's a he's an entrepreneur he's going to be for the rest of his life, knows he can't claim bankruptcy. So he goes around, begs, borrows, steals from all of his friends, gets $60,000, and goes to the IRS and hands him a check. They take the check, and he doesn't let go of it. He goes, one of two things is going to happen here. Because either you're going to, number one, accept this check for $60,000 and you're going to clear my debt. Or number two, I'm going to take this $60,000 and I'm going to go to the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. I'm going to get shit canned until this is all gone. So they said, no, 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 Mr. Garrison, we're going to take your money. Your bills are clear. Everything's good. And so as a good Texas husband and good Texas father, went to the Kentucky Bourbon Trail and got shit-faced anyway. <laughs> And, and this is where it all really started. This is where the magic happened. So this is where he got to meet Mr. Elmer T. Lee from Buffalo Trace, as you know, Jimmy and Eddie Russell from Wild Turkey, uh, Mr. Dave Pickerel, who was the master distiller at uh, Maker's Mark at the time, and just like, hot damn, I was coming out here to get drunk, but I'm actually learning. This is really good stuff. Now, guys, why is it all your fucking tour guides keep saying that you can only make bourbon in Kentucky? Like, this doesn't make any sense. They're like, well, nobody's ever tried to do it before. It's like, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the first. So again, where our farm is or where our ranch is, it sits on the top of a beautiful limestone aquifer uh, down in Texas, in High Texas, which is just about an hour west of Austin and about an hour and 15 minutes northwest of San Antonio. Now, Mr. Lee was like, hot damn. I mean, this guy's in his 70s at the time, and he's done everything that there is to do in the bourbon industry in Kentucky. I mean, Albert T. Lee was the man who created Blanton's, the first single barrel bourbon ever nationally distributed in America. We're going to Trace, we're going to Stag, we're doing, I mean, this guy, we, we, I, I'll talk about Garrison, I mean, I, we don't have enough time to talk about his resume, but what he had been doing is he had been studying the different aquifers throughout America, and he had knew what the bourbon laws were in America. And he knew what was going on over in Scotland. And he thought, why doesn't America have what they have in Scotland? Why don't they have the lowlands, the highlands? Why don't they have Isla? 
why don't I have Campbelltown? Why, why, why aren't we doing this? Why is it only we're doing this and then we're, you know, arguing with the guys over Jack Daniels in Tennessee? So basically, he found his sucker. He found Dan Garrison. He found a man that had an amazing passion and that was going to go start basically his science project on his own dime. So fantastic. So they were unbelievable helpful to start us and get growing and get started. And, you know, let's talk about yeast. Let's talk about mash bills. What they didn't know was the harsh reality of the climate that we're in. And that's where we're going to kind of get into. So they started and they gave, talking about Blanton's, uh, Mr. Lee, we got his original still, uh, the, his pilot still, his 100-gallon still that he developed Blanton's on. And so that's the still that we started distilling with down in Texas. Now, first, let's, uh, let me backtrack a little bit. First thing we had to do is we had to get some laws changed. So we just went out there and started making moonshine, got out there getting all drunk. And pretty much every single day, calling the cops, hey, what's up, guys? We're distilling. Come arrest us. And this went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and got arrested every single day until it was finally, please stop calling us. It's like, no, no, no. We need to keep getting arrested because they needed to change laws in Texas that were able for us to start up distilleries. So now Dan got distillery license. I want to say, don't quote me on this, especially YouTube. <laughs> I want to say distillery license number 28. There's probably about 600 in the U.S. right now. This is where we're seeing the boom that's gone on. I'm sure you've all, especially in California, had a craft beer. We're seeing the boom going on. We all know the wineries over there. It didn't really happen in distilling until you're looking at the early 2000s. So that was really, really vital in getting some of those distilling laws changed that we were able to start doing that. And then Dan writes up to the TTB, which basically controls everything, and writes, my name's Dan Garrison. I want to open a distillery in Texas. Can I do this? How do I do it legally? And can I call it bourbon? So the guy... His name's Tim or something starts with a T. He writes back, TTB Tim, I don't know, something like that. We'll make a nickname for it. We'll start one of those urban myths, right? Those bourbon myths. <laughs> and so he writes back and he basically just goes, and by law, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And yes, by the way, by law, you can call it bourbon. P.S. In the 32 years I've worked for the TTB, nobody has ever asked me that question before. So hot damn, we're in Texas, we're on to something. So we're getting all set to do this and get all that. So we started distilling, we got the license to do that. Uh, what do you do once you make your distillate after you choose your grains? Because we're trying different yeasts, we're trying different mash bills, we're trying different grains. You put it in the barrels, you set it and forget it. Kind of like those Ron Popeil old infomercial kind of things, right? So you get that going it's on. It's not like a crock pot at all. No, well, if, if, if you got a four-year crock pot. <laughs> so you get one of those. So again, knowing that we're a bunch of raging alcoholics, we put everything into the rick house, lock it up, throw away the key, go in and see it six months later. Every single frickin' barrel is empty. So how can this be what's going on? This can't be angel share. There's no way this could be happening this fast. So uh, Charlie Garrison, the younger brother, sits down with the baller makers, Mark, cries like a baby, and gets absolutely shit-canned. Dan Garrison looks at this as a puzzle, and is like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened. I need to figure out what's going on, what happened. So calls up Mr. Lee. I don't know. It's never happened in Kentucky. Calls up the Russells. I don't know. Never happened. Calls up everybody. I don't know. Never has happened in Kentucky. So we discovered that it was the climate that we're in. So in Kentucky, they go from 70 degrees in the summertime to about 50 degrees in the wintertime. In Texas, where we are, we go from 115 degrees in the frickin' daytime all the way down to 40. And so therefore, it's that interaction going for the wood. It's not the angel share, it's not the heat, it's not the evaporation, it's that much pressure in the barrels made it pop. 
and they've never, never, ever seen that in Kentucky because they've never, ever had that climate. So now it's another puzzle. How can we get barrels that are managed? So we had to think a little bit outside the box. So and Dan, when you, say, when you say that it made it pop, you, it didn't leak out onto the ground. It just it leaked the- outside of the ground. It did not absorb. It, I mean, I'm sure there was a great amount of it that absorbed in there, but it expanded and it all leaked throughout and got wow. there because the barrels are made to. Oh, thank you so much. Cheers, Pedro. Thanks for having us, man. Of course, of course. Guy. I got to get the story on the headband later. It keeps my head together. <laughs> bandana, the bandana is for security purposes. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, it's like Linus with his blanket. So uh, I'll let, because my voice is going to run out if I keep doing this, because I don't have to leave till tomorrow morning. Do uh, you guys want to tell us a bit about what we're having right now with the small batch? Yeah, sure. So uh, what you have in front of you is our small batch. Uh, we are using 15 to 30 gallon barrels. So this small batch is a marriage of 400, approximately 480 barrels. Uh, our mash bill, and I, I believe Shane kind of uh, briefly touched on it, but our mash bill is 74% corn, which is food grade organic, uh, big thick, big kernels, right? More starch, more sugar, uh, 15% red winter wheat. And our red winter wheat, we actually grow ourselves. Uh, Dan Garrison has about 90 acres um, where we grow our own uh, non-GMO red winter wheat and then 11% barley. And the barley is the only thing that we get just from colder climates, just because barley needs those colder climates. Um, although Texas farmers are trying their hand in Texas barley. And so hopefully, um, I, I could correct me if I'm wrong, but everything that is being barreled right now will be using Texas barley. So um, eventually all our grain is going to be locally sourced from local farmers in Texas. Um, another note is we are proofing down our barrels uh, with natural rainwater. So we accumulate uh, natural rainwater. We have about 36,000 gallons. Um, on our ranch, we essentially have rainwater catchers on the side of every building. Um, so we're proofing it down to about 94. So um, one of the reasons is if you do put a cube to it, it will dilute, but it won't dilute so much so where you're not really drinking a true bourbon. Um, so please enjoy. And if I so, miss anything, so yeah. question for you guys: um, Who knows? Who really knows what sour mashing is? One, two. I'm gonna. Yeah, go no, go ahead, please. So it's when you use the previous batch to start the new batch. Yep. To make sure that you have the continuous strain of. One hundred percent. So um, we sweet mash. We don't sour mash. So basically, we don't carry over any of our spent grains, which makes us a little unique as well. Um, Dan's philosophy on this was two things. One, it, when you sour mash, it's kind of like reusing your coffee grounds. We've all done. It. We don't necessarily like it. And the other thing being, Kentucky's been working on their formulas for a very long time. They've nailed them. They know what they're doing. When we first started, we didn't want a sour mash because we hadn't perfected everything. We didn't know what the climate was gonna do to our liquid. We didn't know what type of grains we we're gonna be able to get consistently. So we've kind of stuck with the sour mash, or the sweet mashing, and it, every year it makes it a little bit different, which is fun. Uh, it's also dangerous because uh, potentially you could have bad batches. When you're, yeah. The reason the big distillers like to use sour mash is it kind of gives your yeast strain a head start. It kind of makes it a little prohibitive for afraid. other bacterium <laughs> and other yeast strains to get in and affect the flavor profile. The sweet mash 
it could vary batch to batch. So you say year to year, but it actually could be day to day. It is. If it's sweet mash in terms of what the kind, what kind of flavor profiles the different yeast strains could be creating based on barometric pressure, other bacteria that are in the air that you don't Humidity, see. Humidity. All kinds of things. No, so that's why the one that you guys are trying right now, it's our 2018 small batch. That's why we blend a little bit off this guy too, yeah. to create somewhat of a consistent liquid throughout the year. Um, because yes, to your point, batch to batch, it could change a little bit. Batch to batch, day to day, barrel to barrel. Um, you can lose whole batches. It could yeah. taste uh, like uh, wet cardboard, which means that some bacterium got into the fermentation that created an off flavor. There are several off flavors that you don't want to have in the beer that you then distill into your whiskey. And by using sweet mash, you're taking the risk of those things occasionally happening. So you could lose whole batches. No, you very much are. We, we do our small batches. Um, oh, let me back up because we've got kind of a few steps ahead. I'll go back <laughs> into the, the barrels. Anyway, the barrels are important. So how do we figure out barrels that we're able to hold our white dog, hold our moonshine that would do that? So Dan had to go and look into uh, wineries and look at wineries all over America and what we're doing. So we found that getting Smaller barrels with much, much thicker staves can withstand that pressure that was going in. So think of the barrel as a sponge. It's very porous. Now, yes, when you hit your friend with wood, it's not very, it's not nerf, okay? But it is a very, very porous product. And where you're getting is you're getting all that interactions going in and out where you're getting the majority of the flavor and 100% of the color that's in your bourbon is coming out of that wood. So unlike scotch, bourbon, and by law, you cannot add any color or flavor into it. So all of this, when it comes off the still, is looks like water, looks like vodka, looks like gin, looks like a white rum, looks like a Blanco. It all goes in there with zero, zero color. It's got a lot of flavor, a lot of odor, but it goes in. So all of this color is coming out of the wood. Now, we do a 53-second char on the barrels. What is the size of the barrel again? 30 gallons. 30 gallons, so I could, I'm, I'm a little shrimp, I could pick one up and put it on, not full, <laughs> but I, I could pick them up empty and put them right up there. And what do you guys do with them off the course? You're not using them for bourbon, you're just... We don't, we don't pair up with it when any other uh, product yet. I mean, most barrels in America, they'll mostly go to Scotland, to Ireland, down to Mexico, uh, they'll go to the Rioja region of Spain, uh, Tabasco, every single drop you've had a Tabasco sauce on those tacos you get down in LA, man, that's all. They're all in bourbon barrels. Um, there's lots of different uses. Uh, we team up with a lot of local uh, wineries, a lot of local cideries, a lot of local breweries. Uh, we have not yet hit the point where we have an issue of a stockpile. We've got people wanting to buy them, making furniture, check out our Instagram, um, Garrison Brothers, hashtag, do all that kind of stuff. Um, we, we've got some like crazy ideas of people doing stuff like that. But um, I mean, I'd love to do one of those life of the barrels and follow it up and, and see what goes on uh, for that. But I, I don't know what the, it, it's, it's got to be new oak. Does it have to be American oak? That's I don't my impression. Was we? It's it's all there's. It's an actual law, so we, we can figure that out. But more importantly, I think the thing you're going to notice first of all, it's a small batch. Okay, that's what it says in the bottle. But by law, there's no definition as None. to what that means. That's just a marketing term. And what Hennessy was saying was that they're also using 15 gallon barrels. Those are really small barrels. The thing to notice about sipping a whiskey that's coming out of a smaller barrel is going to be mouthfeel, texture. The, the flavor profile in terms of 
brown sugar, vanilla, caramel, those kind of typical flavors that you're gonna get from charred oak are going to be there. The difference is how does it exist on your tongue? Beginning, middle to end, how is it different? Because the whiskey, most of all the whiskey you've ever had in your life is coming out of a 52, 53 gallon barrel. That creates in your brain the definition of whiskey. So if you change something so drastically that you're gonna put it into a 15 gallon barrel, yes, it may still hit those notes of vanilla, caramel, char, but the way that it's articulated on your palate, you will notice the difference. We are very attuned to texture. Like for instance, you ask somebody, uh, do you like oysters? And they'll be like, oh, I can't eat oysters at all. And you'd be like, is it the flavor? They almost never say, yes, it's the flavor. They'll tell you it's the texture. Who doesn't like and, salt? And, Who uh, doesn't like salt? Everybody loves salt. Everyone likes it's salt. Texture. But it's the texture that grosses them out. And for that matter, when people first taste whiskey, if, if people aren't really tuned into like describing it in terms of food words, often the, the most common thing to come out of people's mouths is, I think this whiskey is smooth. Smooth is not a flavor. <laughs> Thank God you said that. Smooth is a texture. <laughs> so that's what I would say. Challenge yourself here. This is whiskey coming out of barrels that are atypical to every other kind of whiskey you've ever tasted, probably, unless you're a big whiskey head nerd like myself. And then take note of how it is different, not just in terms of what food words come to mind, but the way that it feels in your mouth. So let's taste some whiskey. We've been talking absolutely. a lot. No, man. absolutely. It's uh, Monday. Exactly yeah, what Pedro yeah, said. He's um, like, come on, I got places to go. Yes. Smooth, smooth is not a flavor. Just like when people are drinking beers and IPAs, hoppy. Hoppy's not a flavor. Hoppy's what a bunny does. It, it, is, it, is it citrusy? Is it this, is that smooth? Anytime you drink a spirit, it's gotta be 40% 80 proof. It's gonna be smooth, because it's alcohol. It burns your palate. That's what alcohol does. Um, so before we get into the distillate and then exactly what happens, I'll get into how we came across our Texas Panhandle corn. So we finally figured out, kind of, sort of, how to distill. We've kind of figured out, kind of, sort of, the mash bill that we wanna get going on. And then um, just being in Texas and, uh, you know, people tend to drink and do crazy stuff in Texas. <laughs> our, our delivery guy gets this big old truck full of Texas Panhandle food grade corn. It's about four times the price of the regular corn. I mean, you've all, you all saw this go by, I hope. It looks way different than the yeah, little it's, kernels it's that don't pop pale. in your microwave popcorn. So that's a much different corn. So they delivered that and said like, hey man, um, I kind of wanted to go for a bucket of KFC at the end. I can't afford to go to KFC if you're sending me this corn. They said, well, why don't you just keep the corn and use it, and then it's more expensive if you send it back. So we said, well, it's already here. We may as well use it. So we did the same thing. We mashed it up with our same proportions again and started the fermentation, and then all of a sudden we've got all these new problems. So again, on the phone with, with, with Jimmy and Eddie, on the phone with Mr. Lee, on the phone, um, when you're making, you can't, if you know, you can't make a whiskey without making a beer first. So you gotta make your mash, you gotta ferment your grains, that's where you're getting your alcohol before you distill it. Usually in Kentucky, you're looking at about seven to 10. The highest I've personally seen is 12, I could be wrong. All of a sudden we started getting a 22% ABV beer before we put it in the still. So again, um, yeah, we, we fucked that's up. That's barley wine, yeah. practically. That's yeah, like, we, we, we don't know what's going on. We fucked up and they're like, Never happened in Kentucky, can't help you. Well, Jimmy, never happened in Kentucky, can't help you. So we're not a bunch of you know microbiologists or anything like that. So what we did figure out finally was that 
there was so much extra starches that were being converted by the enzymes in this corn that in the regular corn that most of the industry was using, they were getting so much more sugars. They were fermenting. But then what we also discovered was that we both have beautiful limestone water sources in Kentucky and in Texas, where our locations are. But we have a very soft water source compared to a very hard water source that they had up there. So our water kept feeding nutrients like you've all heard kale and quinoa and all the super freaking grains and all that kind of stuff. It was feeding all this yeast and the yeast wouldn't die and it just kept making more and more alcohol. And so we weren't doing anything wrong. We were again, like we stumbled onto something by accident because we're not really smart enough to do it on our own. Because that's so, how rednecks roll. That's how rednecks roll. All right, well, let's start we're, passing out some of the other ones. Well, we yeah, got we, another well, three to get into. Let's taste this together first. So yeah. this is something that's perhaps very new, a small batch, quote unquote, but whiskey that's bourbon made in Texas coming out of 15 and 30 gallon barrels, the Garrison Brothers small batch. This was made in 2013 is when That would have, no, because that would have been at a five. So that was made in 2013. 14, that's okay. all, of, all of our barrels are minimum four years. So you need to be at least two years to be called a straight bourbon. The second that distillate touches the wood, it is a bourbon. I wouldn't want to drink it. Uh, but we don't even look at our barrels until they're at least four years. So we don't put an age statement on again because we do a sweet mash, not a sour mash. So we believe more in a vintage that we try to get better every year. But All right, so stick your nose in the glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. Some of you have already drank it completely. <laughs> wow. Wow. I no shame in that. I have. No shame in that. It was that good. Yes. So what, what kind of food words come to mind? As you tap this over your tongue or as you just sniff that into the back of your palate, what are you reminded of? Scotch? You said vanilla? What else? It's sweet. What kind of sweetness? Is it brown sugar? Is it powdered sugar? Is it, uh, is it a molasses? You know, there's all kinds of sweetness. Maple, okay. Honey. There's many ways that... There's many ways that sweetness can exert itself. So try to expand that, that in your mind to like, how is it, is it, there's a whole variance of what sweetness can mean. Try those, that's the big backboard. It is at 94 proof, so it is a lot stronger than a lot, the, the legal minimum is that it has to be 80 proof. So we'd want it to have a little bit of punch and everything. Mm. Remember the flavors that you had in the first class? This is where things really start to get fun for me. This is where I really, really geek out on it. And this is where we really show how we don't know what we're doing. We're letting mother nature take its course and do what she does out in high Texas where we're located. So to me, I'm getting like a dusty oak the, or like a sawdust. The first one, that's our small batch. Kind of vibe on the nose. Like the, the oak comes across really, really strong and dry to me. But the thing that's really hitting me on the palate is the corn. So are you, when you were hitting this alcohol level of a low wine of 22, I mean, of, of your beer in fermentation of 22%, is, were you putting that 22% beer into the still? We were putting in full, what a lot of other people don't. We use a copper pot still. Uh, so we go kind of the old school moonshiner model or the Irish model. We don't strain out the wort. We don't strain out the mash and just take the liquid. We put the entire junk in. We feel we're gonna get a more full-bodied flavor by distilling everything, by distilling the grain remains, the mash, the dead yeast, everything. And it's getting more full-bodied. Now that takes a little bit more time, obviously a little bit more cost, and obviously to scrape that stuff out at the end. Uh, Cole, Hennessy, and myself have all been into one of these stills. Thank you so much. Um, afterwards, and I tell you, scraping this stuff off, it's bourbon brittle. 
It's all the burnt grain that's at the bottom of this copper. It is freaking delicious, and I don't know why we don't sell it. It is, un I put that on cheesecake and cheesecake crumb and grab it up, it's all good. Um, so, all of our, you're putting it in at 22% alcohol. Yeah, the whole thing, the, the whole thing. We just flip a switch, it goes from one pipe from the cookhouse, goes about 30 yards, 40 yards, and it goes right that, dumps right in there, it was set it, forget it, 12 hour distillation, cut the heads, and then, Go to town. And how yeah. long was that fermentation? How long did it take? Four days. Four days. So Four pretty days. long fermentation and, and really reaching really high alcohol. I'm getting a chocolateiness to the small batch, which is kind of unusual for such a, a young bourbon. But I'm, I'm thinking that comes from that intense fermentation. What is, you say it's a sweet mash, what is the yeast strain that you guys are using every we day? We don't know. Uh, it's, the one thing Don, it's the one thing Donna Todd will not talk about, the yeast strain. Proprietary. Okay, it's, okay. We, we use dry yeast. There's nothing proprietary about that. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, we, we can all go, I can walk around Maker's Mark right now, I can walk around Jack Daniels, I'm gonna walk out with all their yeast. But if you wanna try to exactly duplicate what anybody does, so that word is a kind of made up marketing word. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> there's so many other steps you have to do besides proprietary. Uh, I mean, I know Jimmy Russell's a big guy by freezing all his, and he's done that for decades and decades. But yeah, when it comes to that, it's, it's all about how you handle it. It's all about what it does. And there's so many other factors with the wood. You're getting, most of the flavors coming from the wood and coming from mother nature. Um, yes, coming from the fermentation, the grain, it's a lot less. So, I mean, use it, nobody can, again, any of us can walk into Jack Daniels right now and walk out. We're going to have their yeast all over ourselves. And we can just take it out, get a microbiologist, do that and analyze it. If you want to try to use it, yeah. So I think everybody has the single single barrel out, mm -hmm. at least one of them. Um, it is going to be the same mash bill as before. So we use the same mash bill throughout. Um, it is just the di different temperature, as Shane said, the different um, terroir, essentially. Uh, that makes it taste different. And so the single barrel is gonna be, again, from a singular barrel. Um, we are using those 15 to 30 gallons. So we have two single barrels that you're gonna try. Um, go ahead and try this yeah, one. Fine. Yeah, please keep it side by side so you can taste the difference as the next one comes. Uh, so we're way beyond that, yeah. man. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, but do you already see the difference between one and two? All right, they're the, they're this, this, this is what I was gonna say. This is where I get really, really excited about our product. It's the exact same mash bill, it's the exact same yeast, it's the exact same water, the exact same process, the exact same wood, the exact same time, four years. How different are they? And that's all about what Mother Nature does where we are in high Texas. We lose, as you know, the term angel share. Um, those really lucky people in Scotland are about two to three percent. Kentucky, five to seven. We lose 14% angel share a year. What kind of moron would open a company that loses 14% of his assets a year and takes him four years before he could sell it? Uh, Garrison Brothers, give them a round of applause. And that's, and that's, it's just the heat, it, it's the climate, it's the smaller barrels, but what we do wind up with in such a shorter period of time is so much more of that penetration in the wood that is vital. So it's got that more bigger punch. So what you have now is a single barrel, whereas the small batch, again, as Pedro was alluding to, uh, it grinds my gears. There is no term for that. We have all these terms and DOCs and DOAs in wine. We have these terms in craft beer, but we don't have that term. You can come out with a 10,000 case small batch. That doesn't really sound small batch to me. So it's a word that people have thrown around. Now, as Hennessy alluded to, 
It's about 430 gallon barrels that are about 16% yield after four years. So it really is small batch, but we're the first ones to say there is no legal term for small batch. Now, how much, if I was gonna buy a bottle of that small batch from my local liquor store, how much is a bottle of the Garrison Brothers small batch? Depends on which liquor store. <laughs> 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 give, give me a, give me a. But if you, if you guys shop at the big ones, Soda Wine or BevMo, you're looking at $79 for the bottle of small batch. That's retail. Um, but you know, with everything that we're putting into it, we believe in the price and so do the retailers, so. Right on. Yeah. Right on, and now we have the Garrison Brothers single barrel in your glass, so stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. Tell me, yeah, tell me some food words. What does it smell like to you? What are you reminded of? If it's sweet, what kind of sweetness? If it's a, a fruity smell, what kind of fruit? If it's, if it's a floral smell, what kind of flower? What were you gonna say, date? I said date. Yep. Dates, all right, all right. I get that. This one's Pecan. Pecan, okay. Fresh cut grass, okay, all right. Toffee, it's sharp. It's sharp. Granola. Granola, okay. I get huge chocolate mousse. Chocolate in mousse. This. Huge chocolate mousse. So it's now chocolate again, are you looking at milk chocolate or bitter chocolate? Sure. Very different, very different than cocoa. Definitely, definitely. Tap some over your tongue and allow that, that exploration to occur. So your nose might lead you in one direction. Your tongue will yes. maybe take you something different. And then if you, if you can, this is where we're going to get really fun. What'd you say, brother? It looks like it's going to be very harsh, but when I taste it, it's like, it's smooth, it's, it's easy to drink. Okay. As usually with whiskey, it just knocks me out, you know? Well, and, right. and remember, I mean, when you're sniffing it like that, it's going to knock you out, because this is 94% or sorry, 94 proof. 94 so when you're, when you're, I, I, we're back in high school, nah, guys. I, I got the Everclear at all, this is 94 proof. So when you're smelling it, it's when you're smelling a beer, when you're smelling a wine, you wanna get in as much as you can. But when you're getting in it, you're, you're so you wanna always have your mouth open when you're breathing in and, and breathe in slightly because all the same thing that the alcohol does for when people say smooth, is burning your palate. You're also gonna burn your nose when you're nosing that. And that's very, you gotta be very, very careful. And that's where I have no problem with it. It's, okay, it, is there a right way to drink bourbon? I, say, I, I'm straight from the bottle. <laughs> but yeah, there, there is no right way. The right way to enjoy it. I mean, if anybody tells you that, send them my way. I'll go have words well, with that. If you buy the okay. bottle, you go enjoy well, that the I way you want. I noticed that when I pour whiskey down my nose, it's not nearly as good as when I put it in my mouth. I don't know anybody drinking from their nose, so all right. Well, <laughs> when, you've, when you've drunk as much whiskey as I have, <laughs> occasionally one puts it in their nose. <laughs> so it is a very harsh. Now, if you want to save, if we can get these ones coming out, this is, again, what you're going to see. So we've got two single-barrel offerings, and you're going to see some some drastic flavors in between the two. And the difference is because it's the same across the board, same mash bill, same water, same yeast, same wood, same age, oh, same wow. everything. It's really about location where we have. Now, if you've seen some of those super large uh, distilleries that they have in Kentucky with the six story rick houses with massive temperature changes when you go up and down, we don't have that. We're number, I, I, I can't keep track of that. I hate Excel. I'm not gonna keep track of a rick house that's six stories high. <laughs> So everything is one story, single story, and it's such a different climate where we do. The coolest thing that I haven't seen anybody else do is what our master distiller, Donis Todd, has done. Imagine just being, being the green giant, taking a handful of Lego and throwing that out at your property. So we've got all these massive shipping containers that are all over the property at all different angles and all everything. And they're just six barrels by six barrels 
but he knows what's going on by which one's shaded, which one's at what angle with the sun, which one's going along, along with our standard rick houses. So that's where really the fun and the magic happens in this, that all these barrels are the exact same distillate, the exact same age, the exact same weight, the exact same yeast, the exact same water, the exact same, 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 where they are. And that's how much different. Mother Nature at 14% a year in Texas is creating this for us. We don't need to create different mash bills. We don't need to create different, different. We're getting Mother Nature doing all this for us. It's very interesting. To me, this the second one, that first single barrel expression that we tried, it's really citrusy. I'm getting an orange thing going on there and some peach. It's very fruity as opposed to the small batch, which was very woody and kind of young tasting to me. The corn came through really strong and the oak was kind of, kind of really heavy in its presence and it was a little monosyllabic. Monosyllabic. There we go. But if, <laughs> in this one, I'm getting a lot more of those fruits. What are you guys getting off the first single barrel? And now Mick's coming around with the second single barrel. Stephanie had to bail. She's doing a master class on fermentation tonight. Yes, here's to nerdiness. She's, in, she's into a treat. I was at it at lunch. It's really, really fun. It was a lot of good so fun. So the main difference is where you ferment or where, where it's... Where the barrel sits for four years. Set it and forget it. I mean, one thing that we heard when they played a joke on us and said, y'all need to show up here at five in the morning. And we showed up there like, <laughs> we didn't think he would show. <laughs> we just sat there. What do we have? We had a Whataburger, like a really burger. terrible breakfast. We sat there for about four hours. Yeah. And, and so that's it. Looking at the still. So it is literally, it's four days from dried grain to barrel. That's ferment, that's mashing, that's fermentation, that's distillation. Because we're doing a sweet mash, sour mash, you're looking at about six days. But after that four days, that's four years in the barrel. And that's where you just sit it and, and watch, clean everything, start again. And so they're all four years. They're all the exact same age, give or take a month. But it's where they were situated and how these flavors act. So I don't know what's going to happen in four years. I'm not Donis. I'm not a master blender. This isn't blended. This is all out of one barrel. The other really cool thing is we'll put the numbers on there. So this is, is this the one we're having right now? Uh, so this yeah, Mick, one, Mick knows the answer. So, so this barrel, so this is the third one. This is the third one. So this one barrel yielded 49 bottles coming out of this barrel compared to the number two that you tried, 74 barrels. So think of that just different evaporation. Bottles, sorry, bottles out of the one barrel. So just think of that different number and that different, and that's all where it was situated on the ranch and how much more flavor you're getting out of there. I didn't even look at it under the light to see if the color's different because we can't add any color to see if there's so. So what are you kind of getting in this? I'll, I'll leave Pedro, sorry. No, 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 <laughs> it's totally fine. Um, I want to know, like, if this, if you're only able to produce these, like, 74 bottles and 48 bottles, like, what's your yearly output? in total like how much whiskey are you guys able to put out on the market so these were done at a different time so we just got a massive angel investor and we just got vendome from louisville that's done pretty much every copper pot still in america um besides i'm sure there's a few cognac lambic stills out there um we just increased our distilling production four times so we used to have the first hundred gallon still that we did that we got from mr lee then we had our, our uh, sorry, our Fat Man and Little Boy, two 500-gallon copper pot stills. And then just this October, we installed our 2,000-gallon copper, uh, copper pot stills. So right now, we're at production 24 hours a day, uh, every day of the year. But 
none of the stuff we're distilling now is going to be ready for four years. So I couldn't tell you the numbers on these because these were growing and growing and growing every year. Now we're at maximum production. Um, again, yeah, yeah I, I, it's Monday. I was told there's no math. <laughs> All right. I'm just saying that what are you guys doing here? Don't you know that here in Southern California, if you, that's your output, we could drink all of this just in the Southern California market alone 100%. in about a week. 100%. You know, like, yeah, that's, that's what we want to do. You know, we're making enough to supply the pipeline right now. But yes, if, if California was to turn on for us tomorrow, we'd be in a tough spot. But How are you guys doing in Texas? Texas is huge. Texas is, is very, uh, not just for Garrison Brothers, Texas is very proud of all Texas things. There are... I mean, if, if y'all are into the, the craft beer scene in California, you go to a craft brewery, craft brewery in Texas, it looks like the giant Miller Lite one that's just on the north side. You are like, how is this craft beer? Everything is bigger in Texas. <laughs> I'm French Canadian. I got there and said, holy goddamn, everything is bigger in Texas. So the craft beer scene, but a lot of us don't see that in the rest of the US or the rest of the world because they don't distribute outside of Texas. There is a fantastic wine scene that's going on right now over in Texas, doing different grapes that grow differently than they would here in Napa or here in Sonoma. Um, the distilling is amazing out there again with gins, vodkas, and a lot of bourbons and a lot of whiskeys. But the big important thing, I hope that where you're alluding to is what's in the bottle. And this just isn't happening in Texas. This is happening all over where people are sourcing their whiskey, meaning, it's being distilled somewhere else, perhaps even aged somewhere else, but they're bottling it in their state and calling it as I'm Vermont. No, nah, that's a bad example. I love the guys at Whistle Big. Give me a state. Give me Rhode Island. I don't know anything from Rhode Island. I'm a Rhode Island bourbon. And yeah, it was made in another state. It was bottled in another state. So it's really, really important to read the label if that's what you're into and see where it's distilled, where it's produced, where it's bottled. And... There's nothing wrong with source whiskey. It's all about the flavor at the end, but I believe there is a problem with people kind of pulling the wool over your eyes and, and, and telling you misinformation. End of the day, it's what you enjoy. It's what's in there. No, Wyoming whiskey's made in Wyoming at the Wyoming Distillery. We've got single barrel here. But no, it's legit. It's legit. 100% Wyoming whiskey is totally legit. Um, this single barrel, now the cool thing about single barrels is that each one is different. There's this wonderful temporal quality to single barrels. They're always going to vary wildly from from year from you know from one time you go to liquor store to the next time you go to liquor store. The single barrels are going to be different. That's why we buy so many single barrels here at Seven Grams because it's like that romance of the rickhouse. Yeah. You never really know what you're getting. Is is that's the wonderful you know kind of exciting interaction you get to have. Is like how yeah so. Let's let's explore this single barrel. What I, is? I, I'm really interested to see what you think and how the contrast between the last single barrel and this one. Yeah. Try now, to remember now, what you they, were getting before. They are it. a different yield. They were both proofed down to 94. So when we enter the barrel by law, you have to enter the barrel at lower than 125 proof. We enter the barrel at 124 proof. Now when it comes out, it can come out at all different kinds of proofs uh, depending on. The humidity of that year, did more alcohol seep out, did more water seep out, you can get all these different aspects. You can come in and get it at cast strength. You can get it at whatever you want. These are both proofed down in 94, and as Hennessy uh, alluded to, they were both proofed down with rainwater, which is something that we Filtered also do. Filtered rainwater, because those birds like to bathe in that rainwater as well, so. 
If anything can survive in 94 proof. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm stick your nose in that guys? glass. Yeah, what are you guys getting off of the second single barrel expression from Garrison Brothers in High Texas? Cinnamon. I, I keep I keep tasting date. Like I date? Okay, okay. That could be consistent as part Cooked of their fruit. flavor profile. Cooked fruit. Nothing wrong with that. No, Mick. That's not a bad thing. No, it's a great thing, but it's, it's, it's very distinguished because I tasted it in the first single barrel. Now you're confused, is there a little bit? Okay, all right. What so do you I got ideas. I don't want to leave second, you. I'm hoping somebody the says The second it. single barrel. Cotton candy. Cotton candy. Okay, that's a good example of how sweetness can be something very different because cotton candy is way different from molasses, but they're both sweetnesses, you know? There, there's no wrong answers unless somebody says blueberry. I mean, there really is no wrong answer right now, so that's good. Um, and then we're gonna kind of get into the last one, which is one of the just, we're really, really proud of it. And again, it, it kind of happened a little bit by accident. It kind of happened by how can we test the boundaries of what Texas bourbon is? Um, how can we piss off our accountants at the same time? And how can we do something different? And so that's, that's our Balmeray that we're coming out to next. Um, the Balmeray was uh, Jim Murray's uh, whiskey micro, American micro distillery whiskey of the year for 2019. And wow. uh, I, I don't like titles. I don't like well, You got to respect Jim stuff. Murray. He, he tastes a lot of whiskeys. He yeah. kind of knows what he's talking I've about. I've had lunch with him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so th this one is, is we're very proud of it. So this is basically a double oaked. So we're already using the most expensive ingredients that are out there. We're already using the most expensive custom-made barrels out there. We're already using, losing, sorry, the largest yield at 14%. And so what does our master distiller, Donis Todd, do? Well, let's empty these out after four years and put them in another brand new oak barrel, finish it for another two years, and, and that's what we get. And so this one is basically called our bourbon candy. I love everybody once we get it and taste it and everything. Come back up later and check the difference under the light to see how much that color is. Because again, by law, we can't add any color. But when you try them side by side with these bottles, it'll really be shocking. All of these bottles, we use a group of volunteers or slave labor, how you want. They're, they're all hand dipped in wax. They're all done and we ply you with a shot of bourbon, which we call quality control, every 30 minutes. And, and it's just, it's the best team building exercise. It's the most fun. And, and that's why they're all a little bit different because actually this one's pretty good. That one's pretty good. All these ones are pretty good. Actually, no, this one sucks. This one, it didn't even cover the shoulders. This one was probably done at about 4.30 at night when the person wasn't paying attention or anything like that. And yeah, I, I smell this in the drink. Yeah, and that's, that's the exact barrel. Well, not this one, but that's the exact whiskey coming out. So that's where it's really good fun to see. So, um, and where does the name Balmeray come from? So Balmeray, all right, I'm yeah. losing so my voice. So Balmeray is a beautiful, beautiful state park in Texas. Um, it's basically between Austin and El Paso, kind of in, in West Texas. It's a swimming hole that's been there since God created it back whenever he created that part of the world. Let's just be straight, he or she, right? <laughs> I defy you. I mean, if you could find another spirit that's 115 proof, it's, it like I, I want to hang out with you, brother. <laughs> and that's the challenge. You know, I think a lot of times the whiskeys that win the awards are the ones that come in at a high proof, but they're deceptively easy to sip on. That's what win the awards, you know? Oh, totally. Like butterscotch. I mean, so, yeah. Yeah. I like that kind of flavor, but I, it's, it's very enjoyable. And, and that's why everybody's different. That's the beauty about it. I mean, there's so much stuff out there. We're, we're still discovering there's gonna be new stuff coming out. Um, nobody's reinventing distillation 
except the guys that lost beer. This is super cool. Um, but it, it's just different flavors that are coming out. And, and there's only so much you can get from the mash bill, again, by law. Um, the yeast has a fair enough to do with it, but really where the majority, 60 to 70%, arguably, um, nobody knows the answer because nobody. I love what Buffalo Trace do with the single tree experiment. That's cool. Mm -hmm. But nobody really knows. And, and that's where the magic happens because it, it's A plus B plus C, which is the magic, which is nature and wood and terroir. And then, yeah. And so, so that's it. And the time where we are in high Texas is different than the time that they have in Scotland. That's different than the time they have in Kentucky. That's different than the time they have in the Pacific Northwest. And with all these new countries, I mean, if you've had some whiskey from, from Taiwan, or if you've had some stuff from, from India, it, it's so different, but we're all distilling the exact same. Do you think you guys are going to start aging it longer? We can't, there'd be nothing left in the barrel. We don't have that option. Yeah. We don't have that option. Our angel share yeah. is so high that you won't necessarily find anything um, less than, or I'm sorry, more than eight years on the ranch because there won't be anything left in the barrel. If you guys could have like climate control, do you think you would age it? Why? We don't, we don't want to have Why? climate control. Why? Right, seriously, I don't want to wake up there and dial the knob and piss off I my mean, girlfriend. It's too cold. It's too hot. That's how, that's how a lot of the spirits. But, but again, they're looking for consistency. We're not. And that's why we do a sweet mash, not a sour mash. We're hoping to get better and better and discover new things. Well, right on. You guys, let's give it up for Mr. Shane Miriam from Garrison Brothers in Texas. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget. Drink to remember.